Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. billion people may live and die without ever hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his followers to go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Involvement in this global mission is not optional. Every Christ follower has a role to play. In a world plagued with poverty, racism, spiritual emptiness, disease, and natural disasters, we have the opportunity to partner with God to build his kingdom. And there are so many ways you can do just that. Through outreach events, global missions, or thoughtful contributions, we can share the love of Christ locally and continue to reach the rest of the 195. God is at work, and he wants you to live life on mission. Find your part in the world. Well, good morning, church family. It's an honor to be with you. My name's Devin. I'm the lead pastor here at Brian. And whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, I appreciate you being here and I want to say welcome. And if you are new here, um, we want to get to know you and hear a little bit about your story. So please make a point of connecting with someone with a lanyard uh, or going to the connect wall or talking to one of our pastors after the service. We would love that opportunity. Now, I'm excited about this 195 Missions Conference over the next three weeks as we provide the space and the opportunity to, as Pastor Dan said, explore, to learn about, to celebrate, to increase exposure to missions and what God is doing both locally and globally. You see, missions is big at Berean. Over the past 60 years, we've spent something like $20 million investing in reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. We have 28 global partners, those that are serving across the world. We have eight local ministries that we partner with. Missions is a big thing. We're revamping our physical space to increase the visibility. We're sending out short-term teams. We are all in on this. But the question we should be asking as well is, why? I mean, why are we doing this? That's a lot of time, energy, and resources. Why invest in missions? Well, I guess you could say, you know, other churches do it. And like my mama always used to say, if other churches jumped off a bridge, would you do that as well? No, was it something that, you know, in our founding, and our history, somebody had to be in their bonnet about it and was all passionate about this for some reason, and it's just kind of continued since then? No. So why is it 
that we are passionate about missions? And why is it that we invest in missions? And why is it that we want you to partner with missions and missions opportunities? Why? Well, that's what I want to answer today. You see, 195 Missions Conference will have a lot of details, a lot of groups and speakers and opportunities. And I'm excited today to take this first sermon and to zoom out a little bit. To take some time and consider this important but often not asked question about why. Why do we do what it is that we do? Today I want to look at the why of missions. Now to understand that, we have to go back to the beginning of Scripture. Because, you see, here's a little tip for you if you want to grow in your understanding of God, who He is, and His purposes for your life, and His work in this world. You need to understand the first book of the Bible, and you need to understand the last book of the Bible, and see how Jesus Christ Himself makes all this grand story tied together. Because what you read in the beginning pages of the Bible is that God created all things. You know, sometimes people think, Why did God create? I mean, if he's infinite, he was existing infinitely before. Was he, I don't know, bored? Maybe he was lonely? Maybe he was looking for something that he couldn't find? And Why did God even bother creating? Well, God created not out of a lack or out of a need. God created out of an overflow. Christians worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. God eternally exists as three persons. There is one God. So God lacked nothing. God had fellowship. He had joy. He had relationship before he ever created. He didn't create out of a need. He created out of an overflow. He was bubbling up and over with this. And so he decided to create man and woman. And he places them in the garden. And it's perfect. Everything is how it should be. But then sin is introduced. And the sin leads to everything that we see in the world today. Brokenness, hostility, racism, oppression, injustice, violence, sin of all kinds. It just leads to death and destruction. But even there in the first pages of the Bible, we see this promise from God in Genesis chapter 3. That one day, Someone's going to come, and he is going to crush the head of that crafty serpent. That it's not always going to be this way. And as the pages of Scripture continue, and as we we read through the storyline, we see that God is working in human history. Then you skip all the way through to the end of the Bible. And you see, my goodness, everything that he wanted and that he desired, how, I, how he created the world in Genesis is exactly what we see fulfilled in the final and closing chapters of the Bible. It begins, the scripture does, with the creation of the heavens and the earth. And we look forward on that last day to the recreation of the heavens and the earth. The beginning and the ending. The ending is that God wins. That God's glory fills the earth. That pain and suffering and oppression are done away with. This is, as I taught last week, the kingdom of God come in full. And we're given in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, some glimpses of that day. 
And I want to highlight one of them for you. Not simply for your intellectual curiosity, but that this would be a consuming hope and longing for you. This is found in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. John writes this. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Behold, he says, a crowd, innumerable, vast, of people from every corner of the globe, every tribe, every tongue, and every people group there worshiping Jesus together. You know, we've come a long way in the last 2,000 years as far as like being connected as a global society. The internet has in some ways brought us closer, at least from that perspective. Google Translate has gotten us out of many jams if you've ever traveled internationally. You know, I can remember a number of years ago struggling with this language barrier and Google Translate was just in its beginning stages. You see, I went to the gym one day and I met this guy who was a newcomer to Canada and uh, he had only been in Canada for about three weeks. He was from Iraq. This was a very tense time in that region uh, those, a few years ago. And so I got talking to him through Google Translate, just making small talk, got to know him. And eventually we kind of started this friendship. We'd, we'd connect at the gym. And then he invited Heather and I, my wife and I, over to his house to have a meal with him. Again, I didn't even know if I was showing up at the right house, the right apartment. Uh, I didn't know if it was actually dinner he was inviting me to and not something else. There's a lot of language barriers here. So we go to this apartment, and it is very sparsely furnished. There's not much there, but his mom was there, and she was so proud and overjoyed to be able to extend her Middle Eastern hospitality to us. And so she put on this beautiful spread for us. And some of the food was unlike anything I'd ever had. It was delicious. But then some of the food, I asked what I was eating, and Google Translate couldn't pick it up. So I'm sitting there, and there was this particular green pickled dish thing. I couldn't get through even a bite of it. I I was gagging hardcore. And so every time our gracious host would leave the room, I would grab my plate and start scraping it onto Heather's. And say, I I can't do this, babe. I can't do this. I'm going to throw up. That's very rude in every culture if I throw up. So just... Remember your wedding vows, right? This is what it was. This is what we promised each other. And so I scraped it under a place, a plate, and Heather, like the saint that she is, scarfed it down. She's got a stronger uh, palate than I. But I mean, that was coming from you know a very typical language barrier. But I, language barriers can exist and can provide frustration when they're cross-cultural, but. Sometimes there's even dialects where you can't understand people. Again, I was traveling with my wife. My wife is Scottish. And so she grew up um, over in Scotland. And we went over for a visit once, and her and her family took me way up to the Highlands. 
and I met some, I don't know, distant cousins or friends or something, some people from the Highlands. And I remember when they started talking, when they started speaking to me, I was like, what is this? Is this, is this a hidden camera trick or something? Because that's not English. I know English and that's not, I could not make out anything. I couldn't tell if they were talking to me about shearing sheep or stabbing me or geopolitics. I couldn't make any of it out. And that was within the same language. This idea of language being a barrier to our human connectedness. Someday, by God's grace and by His power, that's going to be overcome in full. And every language will be gathered before the throne, worshipping, praising, glorifying, and magnifying Jesus Christ. That's what we long for. That's our hope in this. And the reality is that day is going to happen. We long for that. And we set our hope on that. But the problem is, we're here right in the middle. You and I live in the now. You have the beginning. You have the end. But we live in the now. And as curious as it may seem, for some reason, God delights to use people to accomplish his purposes. God delights and has ordained it to be such that he is glorified when he uses regular, everyday, common, ordinary people like me and like you. We're in the now for a reason. You are in the now for a reason. Because God has chosen to use you. One of my favorite passages from the entire New Testament is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And here Paul offers this up, this reminder. He, he, he begins by talking about the power of the gospel. And what God does when that message is preached. And then he reminds us of our frailty and our limitations. He says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, let there be light, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's why we preach Christ. That's why we keep talking about Jesus, no matter what. Because God is glorified in that. And he goes on to say this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The jars of clay that he's speaking about here are you and I. Frail, fragile, limited. My wife was at a Goodwill recently and she bought this little fall decoration. And it looks like a Christmas tree, I suppose, wrought iron, but there's little pumpkins that you hang on it. Little ceramic clay pumpkins. Started off with about 20 of them. I think we're down to about nine after 48 hours. (laughs) Why? Because I have kids and I have a cat. Every time one of these hits the floor, it just breaks apart. Why? It's just ceramic. It's just clay. It's just, it's fragile. 
And yet, God, in all of His power and majesty and authority and wisdom, has chosen to use regular, ordinary, everyday people like me and like you. Why? So that He gets all the glory. Not many of you were wise when you were called, Paul says. Not many of you were much in the world's eyes. God delights in the here and now, between the beginning, between the end, to use regular people like you and me. So that he will be glorified. The famous missionary Hudson Taylor put it this way, God's work is not man working for God. It is God's own work, though often brought about by man's hands. God is on a mission, and He invites us to participate. He does not need us. He does not need anything. He is entirely, fully, completely self-sufficient. He requires nothing but He delights to use you. He invites you. He is glorified in using the regular, the everyday, and the common. That is the hope that we have. That great day where every tribe and every tongue will be gathered together before the throne, worshiping Jesus. That's going to happen, and it's going to happen because God delights to use regular people like you and I. Praise God that's going to happen. But the reality is, at least for most people I've talked to, the issue is always motivation. We already know so many things in so many areas of our life that we should be doing. Okay, I should be eating better. I should be exercising more. I should be more careful with my finances. I should stop this vice. We know it. We know it. We've seen the PSAs. We've, been, we've heard sermons. We've, we've watched the commercials on TV. We know how we're supposed to live. Their doctors have lectured us on it. The issue, though, is always motivation. And it's the same when it comes to mission. So what is the motivation. What is the grand why? The grand why of mission. The motivation behind reaching the nations and investing and pouring ourselves into that is this. It is the glory of God. It is the glory of God. And until you understand that, until we as a, as a church kind of collectively grab hold of that, fully and completely. It's always going to seem like an uphill battle. The why behind mission is the glory of God. Now, I grew up in the Christian church, and so I've been to a bunch of missions conferences before. And I've seen the motivation, the why, answered a number of ways. I've seen it portrayed largely from a guilt-driven perspective. Guilt is not the why behind our mission. 
sad pictures of people who are struggling and hurting and who, who need a Savior. And maybe you could be that Savior if you just give hard enough or you, you serve enough or you, you do enough. No, guilt is a terrible motivator in the Christian life. It only works for a short period of time. Guilt will not sustain you and lead you to lose your life in order to find it. Guilt is a terrible motivator. Our motivation is not imperialism. Those who have culture and have theology, sharing it with those who do not. Our motivation is not to impress God, right? To graduate to senior level Christian if you become a pastor or a missionary. Probably more if you're being a missionary, but... No, that's not the, that's not the case at all. You don't impress God. And if you're doing it for yourself and not for God... That's a problem. So what is the motivation? Well, the motivation is not even primarily, now hear me carefully, love for the lost. That is a motivation. Absolutely. We are called to love our neighbors. But that is not the primary one. It will not give you the strength to love these people when they're handing you over for abuse, for imprisonment, and for murder. What will you do if you're motivated exclusively on love for these people when in your eyes and in your experience they're no longer worthy of love? You need something greater than even that. That is a motivation in Scripture, to be clear, but you need something even greater as the heartbeat behind your motivation, something eternal, something that does not fade or spoil or perish. That's the glory of God. It is love for God, a love for His glory, a passion in your heart to see Him worshipped and adored as you know full well He deserves that will sustain you. Missions is God-centered. He is the goal. He is the aim. He is the motivation. The Apostle Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 1. This is one of my, again, one of my favorite. I say that a lot. Whatever I'm meditating on recently is typically my favorite. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has the longest sentence in the Bible. Paul is typically very careful with his Greek and his grammar and his 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 punctuation and so forth. But we have this run-on sentence here that any English teacher would highlight and say, no, you you can't do that. That's too long. That's just a typical run-on sentence. But Paul has one in Ephesians chapter 1. It's like he's talking about the gospel and he's getting so excited that he's just bubbling over and he can't stop himself because he keeps thinking about another amazing thing about the gospel. And then, and then, and then, and then, and he, he, he hammers this home. And all of it, is about the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says this. In Him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity to the purposes of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, look at this might be for the praise of his glory. We were chosen, we were predestined 
according to the plan of the one who's working everything together for the purpose of his will, we put our hope in Christ to the praise of his glory. He goes on. And you also were included with Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. He's just given all of these theological terms, and we can debate their meaning. All of these implications of the gospel. And in both verse 12 and then again in verse 14, he says, all of this is to the praise of his glory. It is for the glory of God that sinners are saved. It is for the glory of God that the gospel message goes forward. It is for the glory of God that we invest and give ourselves to mission. It is for the glory of God. Missions, evangelism, outreach, the events that we do here, the way you pursue your neighbor, share the gospel with a coworker, pour into your children. It's for the glory of God. So that those who now curse the name of Jesus those who now are ambivalent, neutral, don't even care about the name of Jesus, those who have never heard the name Jesus, would be transformed from his enemies into his children. God is glorified in that. That's why we do what we do. And the heart that is consumed with missions is the heart that has been first captured by a vision to see God glorified in all things. That's why we do it, church. That's why we give. That's why we go. That's why we serve. That's why we send. It's for the glory of God. Jesus has given us our marching orders. He gave us the Great Commission. Right at the end of Matthew. I mean, Jesus has lived and ministered. He has been crucified. He has been literally and physically raised from the dead. He has defeated our enemies. He is the King of all creation. And he turns to his disciples. And he says, the job's not done. Go. He says this, Go, therefore, in light of all that I've done, in light of my victory, in light of my conquering the grave and defeating Satan and putting an end to your sin, in light of all of this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And these marching orders, they still stand. We are called to go. You know, Christians are 
good at a number of things. Top of that list would be making cliches, right? It's like before Twitter or X, you know, before that came to be and you had to condense everything, Christians were already condensing stuff because you got to be able to fit it on a cross-stitch kind of decoration for the wall, right? So it's got to be short. You don't want to have superfluous words in there, right? But sometimes a cliche can be true. When it comes to missions, there's a cliche, a, a saying, that we are all called to go, send, and pray. you got to pick one. We're all called to go, we're all called to pray, and we're all called to send. Just pick one. Let's talk through those for a minute and see if this cliche bears out. Well, we are called to go. We're a missionary people, saved by a missionary God who is glorified in his missionary pursuits to reach the nations for his glory. We're called to go. Now, when I talk here and when I speak, I'm well aware how Satan can twist a a biblical truth and either cause... For some people, undue condemnation or can cause some people simply to cop out. Let me explain what I mean by that. For some of us here today, for some of you here today, when it comes to global missions, I hope that this sermon will challenge you. Some of you are being selfish and lazy. Okay, fair. Be challenged then. Some of you, though, you're barely hanging on. And a message like this about Christ's call can seem like just further condemnation on your shoulders. One more thing that you're messing up in. Some of you are barely holding on. And I don't mean any of this to come as condemnation. There is Therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything because guilt doesn't work. So how are you going to sort through whether you should feel challenged or you're actually just copping out and being lazy? How do you know the difference? Well, let God's Spirit work through one of Jesus' parables. Jesus told a parable, and in the end, he summed it up this way. To whom much is given... Much is required. Some of you have been given much. You have time. You have energy. You have the physical ability. You have the experiences. You know of the opportunities. You have been given much. Then do something with that church. Do something. But some of you in this season, you've been given a little bit. And your health isn't great. You're just trying to keep a roof over your head. Just trying to keep the creditors at bay. Life is hard right now. You don't have much in this season. If you've been given little, then just be faithful with the little that God has given you. Maybe this is something that God is calling you into right here and right now, and that this missions conference is going to do something in you, and your life is going to change as a result. But maybe for you, it's not the right season. 
And you need to pursue some stability. So I want you to be aware that a sermon like this can always be twisted by Satan to cause condemnation and, and judgment. And oh my goodness, I'm the worst Christian in the world. And, and I could be doing so much more. God must be so disappointed with me. I'm such a failure as a Christian. That's not from God. That's from Satan. And then some of us are here thinking, Devin, I give to the church and the church supports missions. What more do I need to do? Whether you need to be rebuked or whether you need to be encouraged. If you've been given much, much is required. If you've been given little, it's okay. Just be faithful with that little and look for your opportunities. You see, we are called to go. Maybe you've just recently retired. You still got your health. You got the financial security. You have all this experience and you're starting to realize that like six rounds of golf a week are fun but not really fulfilling there's got to be a golf ministry out there somewhere you could do right i don't know if we're going to support you in that but we'll see we're all called to go And whether that's across the street or that's around the world whether that's here locally or that's global We're called to be a people who are a missionary people. If you're in university, if you're a young professional, I mean, you get you, Lord willing, you've got some time and some margin. Use that for gospel purposes. We're called to go. We're also called to pray. Pray, Jesus said, your kingdom come and your will be done. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul, the one of the greatest missionaries of all time asks for prayer for his own ministry. He was desperate to have people pray for him. He says to the church in Ephesus, pray, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Your prayers mean something. Your prayers are used by God. Your prayers grant encouragement to people who are struggling. We pray for our missionaries. When I was working through this sermon, kind of prepping it, and I, you know, I was going to oh, talk through praying for our missionaries, and I got kind of convicted. It was like the Spirit said to me, Devin, you, do you pray for the missionaries at Brian? And I was like, God, I don't have time for this right now, okay? I got to preach to the people. They need this more than I do. And no, I'm joking. And so I, I, I was convicted. But yeah, I have friends that are missionaries that I've prayed for and that I pray with. But man, I got to grow in this for praying for those that we have partnered with here at Berean. You know, part of the desire of increasing the visibility of our missions here is that we can help you put a name and a face together so that they can know whatever they're facing out there on the mission field, whatever they are coming up against, that they're not doing so alone, that God is with them and that Berean is with them, that we do love them, that we do pray for them, that we do care for them. We're called to go and we're called to pray and we're called to send. Every year, Berean gives hundreds of thousands of dollars to missionaries. Why? It's because we believe in it. And I know that many of you support missions in different ways, but 
For some of you, this may be a new way of thinking. We send out short-term teams all the time, missions trips. My hope and my prayer is that in the coming years, we have individual after individual, couple after couple, family after family, of good, godly, enjoyable, sacrificially serving individuals come up on this stage where we lay hands on them and with tears, we send them out. We say, go, we're behind you. Because we want to release you into God's purposes to reach the nations for His glory. That we lose some of our best and brightest for the cause of Christ. My hope and my prayer is that some of you kids here, some of you students, will see with fresh eyes that you have one life and it's not going to be that long. And you have eternity to look forward to, so why not pour it out for the sake of the gospel? That some of you retirees would say, you know what, God has another adventure for me. That I'm coming off the bench and I'm going to give myself to this. And this is my prayer, that we be ascending church. And guess what? I know that that's going to cost us. That we're going to lose some of our best and brightest. But that's the call. That's the invitation. Because God delights to use jars of clay to reach the nations for his own glory. We are called to go, we are called to pray, and we are called to send. But I want you to remember something very important. That even with this simple framework, these simple three words, even here, Jesus is the one who has already done it. About once a month when I'm driving home, I'll ask my wife, do I just preach the same sermon every week? She says, no, no, dear. It's okay, it's okay. No, but sometimes I feel like I say the same thing every week because there's only one thing to say. It's always Jesus. There's nothing else. So think about it. We are called to go. Who modeled that for us first? Jesus did. Because Jesus is the one who came who left his home in heaven and came down to this earth to live amongst us, to redeem us, to reconcile us, to save us from our sins. He gave up everything, his comforts, his rights, his home, to come down to live with sinners, to love the broken, to suffer hardship, to preach the gospel, to confront injustice. He never got married He never owned a home. He never had investments. He never, quote-unquote, settled down. He gave up his very life. Jesus is the greatest missionary that has ever lived, and we're simply following him. Jesus is the one who came. Jesus is the one who prays. In Hebrews 7, we are told that Christ always lives to make intercession for us. In Romans 8, Jesus, it says, is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. In John chapter 17, we are told that Jesus prays for us. You can read his prayer for you. 
He prays first for his disciples. And then he prays for those who will believe in me through their preaching. Jesus Christ prays for you. And Jesus sends. Jesus said in John chapter 20, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The missionary God that we serve is still working. He is still active and he is still on the move. And the invitation for you and for, and for me is to partner with him. To say yes. To go. To pray. And to send. To give your life for the glory of God. And my prayer is that God uses the 195 Missions Conference to transform Berean into a powerful force for the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me to that end? Father, I start by saying thank you. We start by declaring our gratitude and our appreciation and our thankfulness that you are a missionary God. And the invitation to give ourselves to seeing the nations reached is simply walking in step with you and your heart. Call someone here today. Do a work in their heart, God. For those who have been given much, Lord, give them a desire, a longing, an excitement, and an energy to do much for you. For those who have been given little, give them an assurance of your grace and your gentleness and help them to be faithful with that little. Use 195 Missions Conference for your glory, I pray, in the name of the resurrected Lord and King Jesus. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.